Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to today's Cheapside debate. Um, today, we are thinking about uh, crown appointments, the way that senior appointments, particularly those of deans and bishops, are made in the Church of England. That may seem to be a question that carries overtones of Barchester Towers, but I think as soon as you start examining the issues, it's a question that goes right to the heart of the nature of the church and also the nature of the state and what the relationship is between them. To help us think about that, uh, we have two speakers. Professor Henry Maher-Harting was until uh, 2003 the Professor of Ecclesiastical History at Oxford, taking the long view of these things. He's written extensively and particularly on early Ottonian Germany and the church's role there. Pete Broadbent is the area Bishop of Wilsdon, and he's done that since 2001. Other things he's done along the way involve uh, chairing the Development and Planning Committee of Islington Council and being a member of the Archbishop's Council. Bishop, could you explain to us what the current state is and how things are changing. Thank you. Good afternoon. It's very good to be with you. Uh, let me start by declaring some personal uh, prejudices and presuppositions which might indicate where I'm coming from on this matter. Uh, I am personally, by conviction, a Republican. Uh, I'm convinced that monarchy is an anachronism uh, and, in principle, indefensible. Uh, and that's an interesting starting point uh, for someone who swears allegiance to the Queen uh, each time he takes up office. Uh, I'm also by conviction a Democrat, and that's not to confuse the categories that the Americans use, uh, convinced that uh, prerogative powers, uh, which by convention are in the main exercised only through and on the advice of ministers, uh, are still uh, those that need to be limited uh, and so, although I believe that the prerogative uh, exercised through Parliament and through ministers is uh, a better thing than a naked royal prerogative, uh, it still seems to me that it would be the interests of good government uh, if the exercise of prerogative powers were greatly reduced and subject uh, to the scrutiny and will of Parliament. I think we've seen over the past few years uh, how the extent of prerogative has been uh, overused, perhaps misused, by successive governments. Uh, and thirdly, I'm by conviction uh, an heir of the, the 20th century life and liberty movement, who, whose great slogan and watchword was uh, the conviction that the Church of England should govern its own affairs uh, without the interference of the state. Now, all that might add up, therefore, to being uh, incredibly persuaded that uh, disestablishment of the church is uh, something that ought to be worked for yesterday, if not the day before. Uh, and some of my colleagues as bishops have uh, been uh, fairly insistent that disestablishment was the only possible way forward. Uh, I think what I would say is the office of a bishop also brings with it a great deal of pragmatism. Uh, and therefore, although I might well be a Republican, uh, a Democrat, uh, and uh, someone who wants the church to govern its own affairs, I'm also realistic about what can be achieved uh, and uh, believe in the area of crown appointments that we need, therefore, to be very careful about how we move these things forward. What's happening at the moment? Well, uh, in the current debate, we are looking at the green paper the government produced called The Governance of Britain, uh, which has a whole series of proposals about changing the way uh, in which uh, our governance is exercised and which devotes a mere couple of pages uh, to proposals that touch upon the church. Uh, I think overall the governance of Britain Green Paper moves in the right direction because it gives slightly more power uh, to legislature and to the parliament uh, and uh, it weakens the executive but it's only a very small move in the right direction. Uh, and within that green paper, the commitment on changing the way in which church appointments are dealt with is given a fairly cursory uh, treatment, uh, but nonetheless within a framework that it is said does not change the way in which church and state relate. I think there's some question about whether that's really the case. 
but there is an explicit uh, commitment through establishment uh, to the role of the sovereign as the supreme governor and to the unchanging relationship between church and state. Uh, and then goes on and says, but we must look again at how the royal prerogative is exercised in relation to a number of major appointments in the church, uh, notably dasts and bishops, uh, cathedral deans uh, and canonries, uh, as well as uh, other areas where patronage is exercised on behalf of the crown. Uh, and I think that the rationale behind this is interesting. Uh, some have depicted it as though uh, the son of the manse, Gordon Brown, has a very different view of how establishment might be exercised uh, than did Tony Blair. Whether it's as personalized as that, I'm not sure, uh, but I do think we need to recognize that there is a change at the heart of government about how the role of the Church of England is perceived. What do I welcome in these proposals? Well, I think uh, First and foremost, there is a greater freedom for the church in relation to making its own appointments. As long ago as 1974, uh, General Synod asked that the church might have a decisive voice in the making of appointments, and that phrase, a decisive voice, has been lurking around for a long time without actually ever coming to fruition. Uh, the change that's most notable in relation to Darson bishops will be that the Prime Minister will no longer be sent two names of candidates for Darson bishopric uh, between which he has to choose. Uh, there will be one name submitted by the Crown Nominations Commission in future. Uh, that gives the church a very much more definite voice uh, than has been so in the past. There's always been a hint that uh, successive Prime Ministers may well have interfered in the process uh, and refused uh, to accept the first candidate the Church has nominated. Uh, it will also remove uh, the legal fiction whereby the names for a suffragan bishopric uh, were submitted, two in number, but always the first name was chosen, a, a kind of fiction that there was a royal prerogative being exercised there uh, when in fact there wasn't. Uh, it will, I hope, speed up the way in which patronage is exercised by the Crown. One of the things that's very frustrating as a bishop is to deal with Crown and Lord Chancellor appointments uh, and to find that they take two or three times as long as appointments to parishes under the normal system uh, because of the slightly ludicrous insistence uh, that no one can say no to the sovereign and therefore name after name must be offered one by one until the parish representatives uh, say who they want. Uh, bringing that into line with the rest of the appointment system is much to be welcomed. And I think overall that, that the fact that there will be one system for dealing with these things will bring a better management of the church's uh, talent pool for senior appointments. A few other things in closing. What follows for the church? I think it will demand upon the church that it exercises a more open process on the whole nation of, notion of appointments. Uh, Synod has already discussed these things and has, uh, I think, begun to see how one might be able to have a much more consultative process in the appointment of bishops and deans uh, than has hitherto been the case. Uh, I was slightly worried that when the church so readily accepted the proposals made uh, in the Green Paper, almost uh, walking in with open arms and saying, yes, please, let us do these things straight away, it hadn't thought through the consequences. There is more work to be done on how uh, the process will work in the future. Uh, and I think also I want to argue that there is an important role for the state in uh, inputting guidance and understanding of the role of uh, particularly Darcy bishops and deans in the future. Uh, I welcome uh, the advice that comes from the Prime Minister's Appointment Secretary about vacancies and the way in which uh, the needs of a diocese are not merely about churchy matters, uh, but about the whole uh, panoply of things that go on at local government level uh, and the civic role of the church, which must uh, be continued under a new system. Where will this lead? There's a real danger. There's a danger that the national role of the Church of England uh, and its commitment and capacity uh, to engage in the public realm may be diminished. Once the state takes its eyes off the ball, the danger is that the church uh, becomes marginal. 
and those of us who believe the Church of England has a huge role in the preservation and the maintenance of a public voice for Christianity and for faith and for Christian faith as expressed by the Church of England in this country uh, want to ensure uh, that that voice is continued. We don't renege on our particular concerns. Uh, and the other side of that coin, there's a real danger the Church of England uh, will tend towards an introverted preoccupation uh, with its own navel uh, and will therefore lose its role in seeing the wider picture. There's also a concern that uh, appointments may be less uh, than exciting in the future. One of the things that the, the role of the, uh, the Prime Minister and the Queen has ensured is that uh, some interesting off-the-wall and daring appointments have been made in the past. It may well be that the Church's appointments uh, will become safe and dull and characterless. Uh, and those of us who care about these things want to ensure that those who are appointed are up to the job but not merely safe pairs of hands. And I suppose the big question that the church will have to face, given that this is all likely to come in uh, whether the church likes it or not, is what system we move to. Some have advocated that we move uh, towards election of diocesan bishops. I personally am not convinced about that. Uh, I recognize that the majority of provinces throughout the rest of the Anglican Communion uh, do elect their bishops. Uh, I'm not so sure that that's the, the best way. Uh, and that we ought to have a process whereby there is still uh, proper consideration given uh, to the uh, major role that a bishop or a dean exercises in relation to their community and locality and the church. So, Chairman, my view is two cheers uh, for the reforms, more work to be done. Thank you very much. Professor Meyer Harting. Then now it's on. That's Is it. that all right? Am I audible? Indeed. Uh, uh, I was asked, I was invited to take part in a debate. <clears throat> and uh, I have to say, it's not easy to debate with somebody of such eminent reasonableness as the Bishop of Wilsdon. <clears throat> However, I start from a completely different ideological position, if that's the right word from him, if somebody like him can be called in any sense ideological as well as eminently reasonable, and that is that I am an ardent monarchist, uh, and maybe part of the reason for that is that I hail originally from Habsburg lands, uh, and so I suppose it's inbred in my uh, uh, family and my whole bloodstream. I should also add uh, to what the chairman kindly said that uh, I, I was not only Regis Professor of Ecclesiastical History and I have little enough locus standi on which to speak about this matter anyhow. I, I'm also a Roman Catholic and not an Anglican at all but I was also, by reason of being Regis Professor of Ecclesiastical History, uh, a lay canon, but a lay residentiary canon, and I believe the only person of that sort in the Church of England in Christ Church Cathedral for the six years that I was professor. So I am myself uh, a, 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 a crown appointment, and I received my letter uh, from John Major, almost at the end of his prime ministership. And some of my friends congratulated me on the fact that the letter he'd written to me was the only good thing he'd done in his whole premiership. Um, now, um, so I think I have one other point in which I will show my hand, but that's a bit later. I realized uh, quite recently uh, that uh, um, the vicar, are you a vicar or a rector? Re the rector had uh, not uh, given me a title about which we were going to debate, which is the other difficult thing about debating with an eminently reasonable person. If you don't know what the actual 
debate is. But in his letter, the rector said to me that he was interested in particular to um, explore the effect of some open election on uh, um, appointing bishops and deans, I suppose. And so uh, I thought, uh, here I'm afraid I'm already in agreement uh, with the Bishop of Wilsdon. Uh, I thought to say something about that, about the possibility of interviews for uh, bishops' jobs, uh, 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 very negatively. First of all, I think it would be almost impossible uh, to judge the quality as a pastor of people who were interviewed in that way, because it's more about how good people are at talking in a room of six or 12 people than about their pastoral guidance. And if I think of Basil Hume, who is one of my many uh, heroes amongst churchmen of the 20th century, as is Archbishop Michael Ramsey, another, if I think of Basil Hume, is it, and who was a wonderful success, a saintly success as Archbishop of Westminster, is it conceivable that he would have made it over one or two of the media-savvy bishops when he was appointed in 1976 to be Archbishop of Westminster if he had had to be interviewed? And the other point I'd make is that it could lead to candidates advocating their own cause and uh, one really, there is a grave danger in appointing to bishoprics people who particularly very much want to be bishops. There is always, there should always, in my opinion, be that element of nolo episcopari about uh, people who are bishops. Well, <clears throat> I'd like to start uh, with what, uh, what sort of a person a bishop ought to be, because uh, that is something which in the literature I've received about this matter seems to be, on the whole, very little discussed, and it is surely relevant what sort of a person a bishop ought to be to much that has been under discussion about Episcopal appointments. I was present, uh, by very good fortune, at the consecration of Frank Weston as Bishop of Knaresborough in York Minster in December 1997, when my friend and colleague, Oliver O'Donovan, then Regis Professor of Moral and Pastoral Theology at Oxford, gave the address. And one of the things he said was that a bishop ought to, be a ought to represent his diocese to the wider community and ought to represent the wider community to his diocese. In other words, a bishop should be a national figure and not just a local one. And to give an example of how that has in practice worked in the Church of England, you look at, for instance, Richard Harris, uh, until recently Bishop of Oxford. Whenever the uh, media wanted somebody to comment intelligently, uh, from the, a comment from the National Church, the Church of England, they went to him, and although you might disagree with much of what, some of what he said, even think it crackpot, it was always intelligent and always worth hearing. And then there should be, I think, inherent pastoral qualifications. A bishop is a pastor as well as a na national figure. The greatest uh, statement of a bishop's pastorate was ever in the Christian church, I think, was given by Pope Gregory the Great in his wonderful book, Pastoral Care, and he was the person who started the Church of England. I always say Henry VIII didn't start it. It was a pope, Pope Gregory the Great, who started the Church of England by sending the mission of Augustine to Canterbury. And two-thirds of his book on pastoral care is how to deal, is about how to deal with different sorts of people, with different sorts of dispositions. Uh, I won't go into it all, in other words, but in other words, he says that a bishop, as a pastor, must be a, a teacher, and that's important, e.g. Richard Harris, but not alone him, um, and b, he must have a discernment of persons. And I think this is rather important in relation to the report of the archbishops to the synod, which was discussed last month, um, 
uh, and one, uh, paragraph 14 of that report speaks about these new uh, uh, appointments advisor, uh, which who is supposed to take the place of the appointments uh, uh, secretary of the prime minister, speaks about uh, the, uh, how this advisor would be a party to drawing up a detailed memorandum of the needs of the post of the bishopric. Well, up to a point, Lord Copper, I say to that. But beyond that, there are some perfectly obvious, obvious points about what sort of a person should be a bishop, which seem to me to uh, uh, superimpose themselves over the particular needs of a bishopric, although I don't deny that the uh, uh, particular bishoprics, particular dean, deaneries, need uh, some particular qualifications as well as those general ones. Uh, what sort of a person ought a dean to be? I wasn't going to speak about deans at all, uh, but uh, there are some very illuminating things said in the uh, Synod, uh, as reported in the Church Times, about what sort of a person a dean ought to be. The Dean of Canterbury, for instance, referred to uh, the fact that cathedrals, uh, Anglican cathedrals, were owned by, owned by many people around the world. And the Dean of Leicester said, uh, uh, spoke of the cathedrals playing a mediating part in the community. In other words, deans even are not just of local significance, uh, 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 and they're not just churchy. Now, the present system see, uh, for appointments seems to me to be just about right. Uh, there is a decisive input, generally, by the combination of the national church with the uh, archbishops and the archbishops uh, and the archbishops' appointment secretary, and the local churches with the diocesan representation on the committees. And then there is the Prime Minister's appointment secretary, a person of great sensitivity. I, I think I should declare my hand at this point. Uh, I, I happen to be a friend of the, prime, the present Prime Minister's appointment secretary, who actually was an undergraduate at my college in Oxford, St. Peter's College, uh, when I was already a fellow there. Uh, uh, but I think what I say about the present Prime Minister's se uh, appointment secretary can be said of the previous one and the previous one before that, all of whom I've seen uh, or, or spoken with while they were there in that post. A, a, a person of great sensitivity who goes to endless trouble, as did his predecessors, in consultations and soundings. Thirdly, there is a genuine exercise of the supreme governorship of the Queen, uh, and uh, fourthly, it seems to me that in general, uh, this system has led to some very good appointments. I know there have been some that you could question, some that you could say, uh, um, people who weren't appointed for political reasons, but in general, it seems to me that the caliber of those appointed under this system, from the uh, bishops I know or know of, has been a very high caliber, uh, and I'm not sure that you'd get the same thing if the diocese, any, diocese anyhow, had more say in it. Now, I think it lamentable, this follows from my being an ardent monarchist, I think it lamentable that the present prime minister should now virtually wash his hands of the business. The paper that was referred to by the Bishop of Wilston does indeed say how, great the gov how greatly the government values the Church of England and uh, recognizes the supreme governorship of the sovereign and all that. But then in the next sentence, virtually washes its hands. Yeah, the Prime Minister washes his hands of all that. Uh, now, who should better advise the supreme governor than her first minister? Uh, 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 the idea that somebody else should do it, it report uh, of the Archbishop's paragraph 7, seems to me to be uh, one of the not too few paragraphs in that report that are what the medievals would have called flatus voces. Um, the, sovereign, the, sovereign, the, the sovereign remains effective supreme governor while a prime minister backs away can only be thought an effective idea by those who lack any grasp of symbolism and the importance of the symbolism 
of the Prime Minister being involved. Now you may say that the symbolism would be satisfied by a new senior Crown appointments advisor. Uh, but do senior civil servants know anything about the pressures of public office uh, compared to politicians or statesmen, as is claimed in the report? Uh, it may be that he will be independent and be able to, he or she will be independent and able to say uncomfortable things, but what use is that if he or she has absolutely no teeth, can only utter pious uncomfortable things? How can such a person effectively challenge the church not to become too inward-looking? Well, I can't see it, and I can't even see that a senior civil servant, presumably a knight of some sort, would want to uh, spend all that time uh, advising, uh, advising the church if he had absolutely no say, no vote whatsoever in it. Uh, I would think that was a waste of my time if I happened to be a knightly civil servant. Uh, so, if you call that symbolism, it seems to me then, their symbolism is in the wrong place. It should be with the Prime Minister. The debate uh, appears to me to have been uh, uh, dogged by the bandying about of terms whose meaning is very unclear. One judge in the Synod is reported to have said about mistakes in Crown appointments in the past, and no doubt everybody would agree, uh, that there had been um, um, appointments regarded as unsatisfactory. He says, there will always be mistakes, but let them be our own mistakes. Well, I mean, that strikes me as pretty close to saying my country right or wrong. Um, uh, and in any case, it's very clever sounding, but what is a mistake in those circumstances? Uh, 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 that is totally undefined. And in view of what I've said about the sort of person that ought to be a bishop, a, a mistake can mean that depending on the various things, depending on your point of view about what a mistake is. So if I were an Anglican, I'd think it most dangerous to rush into new procedures just because there appears to be an opening uh, for people, Republicans, who want to uh, uh, clinch church power while they can, uh, I think it most dangerous to rush into new procedures which could not be easily reversed, as these could not, if a later Prime Minister came along with a better grasp of his duties as First Minister of the Supreme Governor. The Prime Minister isn't here, I hope. Um, in his introduction to this issue, finally, to the Synod, the Archbishop of Canterbury warned against uh, a camp forming that was moved by nostalgia. Now, I hate to have any difference of opinion from the Archbishop. I warmly welcomed, I was delighted by his appointment, and nothing he has said or done since has made me change my mind in the slightest about him. But uh, I say this, that one should appreciate that even so apparently useless a feeling as nostalgia has a function in society. And that function is to put the brakes on radical change that is going too fast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. The, uh, the remaining 20 minutes or so um, is taken up with um, some sort of discussion. Um, between our speakers and you. Uh, while you're thinking about what you would like to say or ask, I wonder if I could ask the bishop to respond to what Professor Meyerharting has said. Chair, I think there is that difficulty that uh, we're both eminently reasonable and find the arguments uh, on both sides uh, fairly finely balanced. Uh, I think I would say that uh, there is a principal question which clearly needs to be addressed. And I think that's, this is probably the major issue between us in that uh, I still fundamentally believe that uh, the church should take authority over its own appointments uh, and that therefore the role of the prime minister uh, ought not to be there in the future uh, and that uh, 
there is another way of doing it. It isn't about a civil servant advising the Crown. The Archbishop can advise the Crown if, if the Crown is still in place in order so to be advised. Uh, so I, I think there are other ways of doing it. I, I entirely agree with uh, the Professor that uh, uh, bureaucrats and civil servants are not the best people to have the big picture and the wider view. And uh, one of the virtues that there is in the present system is, is that there is a wider view which takes on board the needs of the state. The, um, uh, one of the people who, who was mentioned was um, Cardinal Hume uh, and also Bishop Archbishop Michael Ramsey. Um, Michael Ramsey is, is in many ways a, uh, um, a shining example of, mm. of how uh, the Prime Minister can act in these situations because, as I understand it, um, Harold Macmillan was instrumental in appointing Ramsey rather than anybody else if the Church of England had been had the decisive voice in its appointments at that time we would have missed out on one of the most saintly archbishops we've had. Well, again, let me respond. The question was raised rightly. Uh, what are we looking for in the qualities of anyone to be nominated as a bishop? Uh, and of course, there is a background to all this in the sense that uh, we have got uh, some qualities. They aren't in the report, uh, but they are in the ordinal. Uh, and what we are looking for in terms of someone who is going to be a bishop is set out very clearly there. Uh, and so I would hope that whether it's the state or the church or a combination of the two engaged in uh, appointing people in the future, they would take full cognizance, not merely of job descriptions and person specifications, uh, but of the real need to have someone who's a pastor, a prayerful person, and all the rest. It might be said that those things are too implicit in the current debate, and one ought to make them uh, more explicit. Uh, but clearly there need to be appointments of the kind uh, such as uh, Michael Ramsey, who uh, palpably did a very good job in many areas. He perhaps was deficient in some other areas that weren't his gifts. Uh, but the whole point of having a bench of bishops is that we uh, can work together to make up what's deficient in certain areas. Thank you. Over to you. There's a, there's a microphone behind you if you'd like to. I've often heard the criticism about recent appointments to the bishopric that we tend to be given managers nowadays rather than pastors. I just wonder if some sort of election process might serve as a check on that development going too far. Professor, would you like to? I think the bishop should uh, okay. really answer that. I regret what's happening in the church more widely, part of which again is, is actually being governed by secular legislation in the, the, the calling I have to be a pastor uh, and a shepherd of the flock is being undermined by my also having to be a, a human resources manager uh, and a whole series of other things. So, uh, the clergy are to become uh, those who are not employed, but who have a status which equates to employment status. That makes me de facto more a manager than I want to be, uh, and it makes the task that uh, bishops will be engaged in the future a very difficult one. Uh, I'm not sure that election would necessarily make a difference to all that, though obviously there is a sense in which uh, election uh, would give someone the popular mandate of their clergy though that might also be a very sycophantic and self-serving uh, kind of election if one weren't very careful. Uh, so I'm not sure any system is foolproof. Uh, I, I think I, I, we may disagree on the question of um, uh, what might be the best system once the Prime Minister's role has changed. I suspect that uh, uh, interviews might not be a bad thing. I, I've sat in the Crown uh, Nominations Commission uh, for two appointments of the Bishop of London in the past uh, as a Darsen representative, I was astounded at the lack of information that we were given about the candidates we were considering. I think it's better now. Uh, I think there is, there is more information given, but I think you're appointing or nominating someone 
uh, without full knowledge of their gifts uh, and the capacity at least to uh, meet them and interview them in some helpful way, if only for the permanent members of that commission so they know the people they are dealing with, would it seems to me improve things greatly? I'm not sure about election. I can't see it working well, but uh, we are in a minority of one in the Anglican Communion. Could I, could I uh, mm -hmm. ask a question rather than make a debating mm -hmm. point of the bishop about that? Um, I, I cannot, uh, I mean, I uh, take the point about the information. I, obviously, I don't know what happens in these committees. Um, but um, one thing I'm sure of, and that is that the present uh, appointment secretary of the prime minister gathers an enormous amount of information uh, reactions of people to the various candidates and so forth and I couldn't actually see why the, the present Prime Minister's appointment secretary should not continue to be the new chap if he wanted to be that is the new mm -hmm. crown appointments advisor mm -hmm. even though he wouldn't have any teeth I don't think the Prime Minister's uh, appointment secretary at the moment thinks of himself as having teeth. He thinks of himself as making the recommendations he makes after very thorough soundings. Mm -hmm. And I can't see why, except for false symbolism, there is this drive to have some very senior sort of knightly civil servant, rather than having somebody like uh, the present Prime Minister's appointment secretary to do the same work as he does, to gather the same information and impressions without now having any um, formal responsibility for making a recommendation. C can you see anything against that, Bishop? Not only can I not see anything against it, I actually think it's, it would be the best solution. I, I, the, there is huge expertise in the present office yes. holder yes. Uh, and in, in what he has done for the church. And, and uh, I think all of us who've experienced his, his work and the work yes. of uh, his equivalent in the Archbishop's office recognize they exercise their role uh, with great aplomb. So, no, I, I, I rather worry that our abject immediate capitulation to the to the the green paper proposals has left uh, the prime minister's appointment secretary slightly high and dry uh, and one wants to say how do we capture that expertise uh, for the good of church and state yeah. in the future yeah uh, but but the archbishop's report explicitly says that this new sort of person will be instead of uh, that is the word used yes i wonder whether that was a piece of uh, rail politique uh, about funding for the post, but I don't know. Yes. Mm, thank you. If I could ask a question. Uh, when the, the Green Paper was published, I engaged the Secretary of State for Justice in correspondence as part of the consultation and asked whether in uh, the general proposition of the Green Paper, which was to extend democracy by um, constraining the prerogative somewhat, whether, whether Her Majesty's government might need to be assured that the nominations procedure, the new nominations procedure, was more and not less open to examination. Otherwise, it would seem to me that the purpose of the Green Paper uh, wouldn't be achieved. The reply I received from the Minister of State indicated that, in fact, the government had no intention of having any influence whatsoever on whatever arrangements, alternative arrangements, the church was to put in place, indicating, I think, to some extent, that the government's intentions are a, something of a sleight of hand and that, indeed, there is an intention um, somewhat to dis, uh, uh, disestablish the Church of England by these proposals. My own interest in, in raising the whole business of an element of election um, um, is really, to, to some extent, to flush the government out in, in this respect, and, and indeed others. And it would seem to me that there might be some area for election, uh, certainly not open elections. I worked for a, a short time in a small diocese in Africa, and you could see people jockeying for position as bishop from the moment they were ordained to the diaconate. Um, and indeed, one or two of them is, are still doing so um, 25 years on. Um, and I think that's a most unattractive um, uh, uh, spectacle. 
but it would seem to me that it wouldn't be unreasonable for perhaps the vacancy in C committee in each diocese, which is elected from among um, clergy and lay people, whether that might in fact have an open election at the moment of the vacancy rather than um, just be a standing committee of the diocesan um, synod and whether that would just open the system up just a little bit more. I think the vacancy and C committee might be the wrong body simply because they're fairly politicized uh, and certainly my experience of the two in London has been that there's been an awful lot of um, jockeying around, to, to use your phrase, uh, various positions that the church has felt to be important at the time, you know, pro the ordination of women or whatever, more liberal, more conservative. Uh, and I think the politicization of, of that sort of body does make it quite difficult because people stand for election to the vacancy and C committee uh, precisely because they take positions on those matters rather than necessarily seeing the needs of the whole diocese and the whole community as being their prerogative. Uh, certainly there might be some mileage in looking at uh, a trawling for candidates more explicitly through the vacancy and C committee process. At the moment uh, a vacancy and C committee is, is allowed to suggest names uh, but they're only indicative for the Crown Nominations Committee to look at. They're not actually uh, mandatory unless they're put forward by one of the representatives. So I, I, more could be done but I'd be worried about whether that electoral base was the right one to operate uh, in a way that would be for the best for the diocese, I'm afraid. I, I hate to um, disagree with the rector on a point, but I think that um, one crucial thing um, that um, mitigates against um, election, certainly by the Vacancy and C Committee, is this um, dichotomy with bishops where at this, one at the same time we're looking at um, appointing a bishop of a particular place um, and at the same time a bishop in the Church of God. And, and sometimes there can be uh, uh, um, some tension between those two. But uh, it also brings me on to the point that I wanted to uh, raise with the speakers which was that both of them uh, seem to agree that the Church of England has a far wider role than simply ministering to its congregations. And I, I wonder how, in the absence of even a formal uh, role for the Crown in the appointment of bishops, um, that is to be safeguarded, um, and how we ensure proper diversity in appointments, because as the Pilling Commission uh, recognized, the Crown has been much better at being diverse in its appointments than the Church has. Right. How, how are we... To, every, everybody seems to agree that, uh, that uh, the church has a, has a, a role in the community. How, how is that to be protected in the new regime? You presumably have doubts as to whether it can be protected, Professor. Well, uh, um, I agree with the implication of everything that was said just then, which I heard. I don't think it's that easy always to hear uh, that with, through, through the microphone in the body of the uh, church. But uh, uh, as I understood what you were saying, uh, I uh, uh, totally um, agreed with the implication, rather, although you modestly put it as a question, uh, how uh, once the prime minister backs out of it, the first minister, how can one make the uh, supreme governor's role effective? If, if that's what you were saying. Uh, and I think there, there seems to me, as I think there seems to you, to be no guarantee of that at all. Of course, I mean, there's no pr problem about it if one is a Republican. Uh, but um, uh, for me, that would be a problem. Uh, and I think it's very important also to appreciate how much the role of the Supreme Governor uh, in the church is very important for the national life. I mean, uh, if you think of the uh, cohesive, socially cohesive forms of ceremony uh, that the Church of England provides, if you think that the Church of England provides a ready-made belonging for everybody who's not quite sure where they do belong, um, if you think of uh, the uh, 
ethic and the ethos that the Church of England expresses, sometimes with dissenting voices, but I think a pretty clear message comes through, and that is very much reinforced by everything that the Supreme Governor says, for instance, in her Christmas addresses uh, and the like. Um, and so uh, I think it would be a very great loss if any part of the Supreme Governor uh, uh, of their power was, was, was lost in this, and I see no means of guaranteeing uh, that there should be anything, and I totally agree with the rector that there is an element of the sleight of hand, surely rather unworthy to suggest that the present government ever exercises a sleight of hand uh, uh, in, this, um, in this matter. I don't dissent from the analysis that we need somehow to keep the message and the reality of our Judeo-Christian heritage uh, properly alive in our society. But I think the difficulty we have is that we are moving into post-Christendom uh, and we are moving to a situation where the rumors of faith are departing from our public realm. I, I talk about it as the smile on the face of the Cheshire Cat. The smile is left, but most of Christendom has now <laughs> evaporated, I fear. Uh, and therefore, I am planning, I suppose, for a day uh, when we have to fight our, call, our corner in the marketplace of faiths uh, to say that this country was formed in the Judeo-Christian heritage, uh, but that we now have to assert the importance of Christianity for public life in a different ethos and a different culture uh, from the one that's hitherto applied in our country. Uh, so I suppose the pragmatism is coming in really. Uh, what I'm saying to you is uh, we can no longer rely on a government that will defend the defender of the faith. A different way needs to be found as we move into a pluralism uh, that, that could become a very secular pluralism. We have to find ways of asserting the importance of Christianity and the importance of uh, the other great world faiths to the well-being of our society. Uh, and we won't be able to rely on those things we've hitherto used. Thank you. Very briefly, I wonder if I could um, ask a final question of you, Bishop. The, um, you mentioned the, um, uh, the patronage that the Crown exercises at a parochial level and uh, speeding up that process. Um, I wonder whether the changes in the green paper represent, uh, to some extent, a thin end of the wedge as far as patronage as a whole goes, if the logic of the church having a decisive voice in its appointments applies for bishops and deans, then what future is there for non-church bodies to exercise patronage at any level in the church? And would that be a bad thing? Well, you'd expect a bishop to say that, of course, we exercise patronage better than anybody else, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, but that would be that. misguided. I, I, I think the current patronage system is difficult to defend uh, as we move towards common tenure, uh, because patrons will more and more have the capacity uh, to appoint, uh, but then leave the bishop to pick up the pieces if, in fact, that appointment goes wrong. Uh, and given our role as employers and managers in the future, which I fear is the way in which we're moving, it will be very, very difficult. Nonetheless, I, I don't want to see patronage abolished wholesale. I would like to see a greater partnership taking place so that patrons bore a great deal more responsibility uh, for the appointments they made and, and took the example of some of our good patrons who do maintain contact with the parish uh, and continue to exercise a degree of care alongside the bishop in that role. Uh, but at the moment, I, I fear that patronage is very much uh, one of those things that is sporadic uh, in terms of the effect that patrons have on their continued life with parishes. Uh, we need to improve that. I don't want to lose the diversity uh, that uh, actually patronage brings, but I'd like some responsibility with the diversity. Thank you. Am I, am I not right mm -hmm. to think that uh, uh, the exercise of patronage is by presentation to a bishop, so that a bishop always, if he thinks somebody genuinely unsuited, is that not so? 
Uh, am I living in the Middle Ages where it was so? The, the bishop has the power to turn down someone who's uh, presented to him, but there is an appeal to the archbishop, and the presumption normally is that the bishop has got to find very, very good grounds for refusing a presentation and normally can't. That may change in the future. I mean, I, I, I would just like to say that in, in uh, being associated and be belonging to Christchurch in Oxford for six years, Christchurch is the patron of 75 incumbencies up and down the land. And I think it was a huge, I, I can't speak for every patron, but I think it was a huge advantage to those 75 incumbencies uh, that they had um, a patron who helped but didn't uh, dictate mm -hmm. the appointment of people because there were always two representatives from the parish who gave their already considered views. And then, when they were instituted, uh, they, they had conferences every two years in Christchurch. There were book tokens at Christmas, help from a fund. I know that not everybody is as rich as Christchurch, but help from a fund if they needed uh, to have a new car and couldn't afford it and that sort of thing. And uh, although not every patron uh, um, uh, did the same sort of thing, my impression is that, by and large, people uh, take their patronage seriously. Is that right, Bishop? I think the Oxbridge colleges in particular are very, very good mm. in the main. I'm not so sure it uh, obtains in every case outside of that oh. system, but certainly uh, my dealings with uh, the colleges have led me to consider they, they make very good patrons. I think that some of them, in the words of P.G. Woodhouse, need gingering up. Mm. Uh, coming from an Oxbridge College, I'm uh, particularly pleased to hear that. And on that positive note, I think it's probably about time we departed for some lunch. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> and just before you go, can I mention to you the next of these debates, which will be on the 22nd of April, uh, when we'll be considering the new Human Fertilisation and Embryology Bill that is currently before Parliament when we have the Bishop of Swindon and Robert Key, Member of Parliament, talking about the proposals to change the law on IVF and other such things. Thank you. <laughs>